2: you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud native data management. My name is Ryan Wallner and I'm joined by Bob and Shah coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud native ecosystem. good morning good afternoon and good evening wherever you are we're coming to you from boston massachusetts today is september 26th 2023 hope everyone is doing good and staying safe let's dive into it i I mean it being september already we're at the end of the year yeah we passed
1: the (laughs) what autumnal equinox equinox or something like that and now we are officially in fall yeah, the weather certainly like seems like fall. Uh fifty. Degrees. Sweater weather. Yeah, sweater weather. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, can't complain about that. What's what's new, Bob? How you doing? Uh I'm doing good. Just keeping busy. Uh as you said, right? Fall weather conference season, uh planning for things at KubeCon and other shows. But I don't know. Uh nice. had a couple of slow weeks just like uh at at home, like played played Board games with friends, with neighbors. Had a couple of friends over for dinner. NFL is back, so like Sundays are always preoccupied and planned for. Nice. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm clearly behind on the DIY project. I haven't made any progress. Progress. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just an update, like nothing. Marvin hasn't done anything on his wall yet.
2: We'll see how many episodes it takes you to uh, finish it up i know if
1: yeah if people start publicly shaming me then i I might need to like pick it up and like actually do it <laughs> take a day off i know like maybe tim is listening to this like tim i will I'll need a day off dude <laughs> i will uh
2: i will i won't publicly shame you i'll let other people do it then perfect <laughs> how have you been ryan uh it's it's good, been good. I uh, I went uh, riding last weekend, I think, down in Connecticut during the Hurricane Lee or whatever it was. Well, uh, yeah, it was still a hurricane, right? Yeah, yeah. But it didn't really <laughs> rain much, at least where I was. It probably yeah. rained in Boston a bunch, but uh, it was nice. I stayed dry. It was one of the harder things I've done in a while. Kept, oh, left a little sore. Oh <laughs> wow! <Okay. laughs> but it was a it was a blast. Otherwise, yeah, it's good to slow down every now and then. I you know I think that's good. We'll be at. Um, I know you're going to be at DevOps Days Boston, and so am I. Yeah, following your lead. Once you said
1: you were registering for it, I was like, yeah,
2: that's a good show. So if anybody will be there um, who listens, come say hi. Um, We'd love to meet some local Bostonites Mm -hmm. uh, who who are listeners. That'd be really cool.
1: I know. They have been sharing uh, speakers uh, on their LinkedIn uh, channel. And some of those sound like really interesting. So yeah, I would love to meet people locally, maybe get some guests on the pod, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: I haven't been to Dallas State's Boston in a a little while, which is surprising since it's a local (laughs) conference, but I'm excited to be back. It's been a while. I think I was there in like the 2015 era timeframe in those years. Oh, Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah, It's been going on for quite a while. I mean, obviously there was a little gap for everybody in the 2020 timeframe, but (laughs) yeah, excited for that one. Um. Speaking of being excited, we have a really great guest today. Um, mm-hmm. I won't introduce him just yet, <laughs> uh, but we will dive into some cloud-native news. There was a bit of news this week. It was a little, little less slow than, than the previous. I episode, know. It's but... starting to pick back up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's, it's conference season.
1: yeah, sure. Uh, so I wanted to start talking by like one of our previous guests, uh, Armor Security, Armor Sec, and their open source project, which is also a CNCF project, CubeScape. They have a new 3.0 version now uh, with few new enhancements Like that that warranted a 3.0 or a major release. Uh, the first one being configuration scan results like you could... Uh, do it one at a time. right? Like You can run the CLI utility or you can deploy KubeScape agent on your Kubernetes cluster and do a scan once and have the results displayed on the screen. There was no way to like capture those results unless you were copy pasting things. Right. Uh, now they have a couple of new CRDs, config scan summary and workload config scan summary that will allow you to store results of the previous runs, so you can actually compare things. So I feel that that would have been a feature already in the tool, uh, but I'm glad that they added it in 3 there you go. Uh, they also have like a new eBPF engine for lower resource consumption, a new Prometheus exporter, uh, and then image scanning, which was a feature for only the in cluster variation or in cluster version. Yeah. Uh, image scanning is now supported with your CLI version as well. So if you have Cubescape CLI installed on your Mac, for example, and You have configured a container registry. You can run your simple command to scan the images there and or even do one at a time. So uh, uh, quite a bit of updates in kubescape 3.0. Very, very cool. Uh, Then I wanted to talk about like uh, GPU and AI, ML, and all of these buzzwords, right? (laughs) Uh, AWS has been running these uh, series, at least a couple of blogs that I found that focuses on how you can use NVIDIA GPUs uh, for different multi-tenant EKS clusters, right? So uh, there are a few different ways to splice or share a GPU instance or like actually run an application using GPUs. Mm-hmm. The easy ones are like just single process uh, using CUDA, uh, mm-hmm. multi-process. And then the the sharing part comes with either time slicing, multi-instance GPU or vGPU. So uh, we link a couple of uh, blogs in the show notes. The first one talking about time slicing and how it allows you to, uh, I don't know, uh, like... Uh, Schedule these workloads one at a time, and then whenever Kubernetes scheduler is uh, uh, scheduling pods, it will take into account the GPU resources available when making Mm -hmm. scheduling decisions if you have the NVIDIA Kubernetes device plugin installed. So that's goodness, like how you can share the same GPU for different applications. Uh, the second one being uh, the multi-instance GPU. Uh, I know you'll need the the expensive A100 GPUs in the in this use case, but it will allow each tenant or each application to have its own dedicated resources from a GPU memory compute perspective. So, nice. same cluster but like dedicated GPUs uh, using the multi-instance GPU framework.
2: Cool. Sounds a lot like what we've been used to with Linux C groups for CPUs, right? In yep. terms of sharing those and splicing those and and configuring, you know, how those are accessed. So yeah. I so into that.
1: Very cool. I know. Like, I I was just impressed because, like, they are sharing, like, hands-on examples of how to use these different architectures on EKS. So, like, bringing Kubernetes into the picture, bringing mm. uh, EKS and making this available to all of the EKS customers today. So I'm sure like you can copy copy this and use it on a different cloud or on, or on your own if you have access to NVIDIA GPUs in your on-prem data centers. But yeah, uh, good techniques to follow or good blogs to read, I guess.
2: Very cool.
1: Yeah, uh, next up, uh, one more bigger announcement and then I'll just list a few. Uh, Acuity, right? The Argo CD Enterprise Company or Argo Enterprise Company, they introduced a new open source project called Cargo, Cargo with a K. Uh, and that is their way of helping or improving developer experience and allowing them to move their applications uh, through different stages in uh, uh, SDLC or software development lifecycle. So instead of having to rely on custom scripting based on CI tools that you're using, Cargo allows you to subscribe to artifacts like Git artifacts, image updates, Helm Chart updates, and based on those updates, your application will move from, let's say, dev to Staging to test or dev to test and their test to staging, uh, QA and so on and so forth. Uh, all the phases in in the cycle. So uh, interesting project to check out. It just came out, so I don't know how it looks from from an actual feature perspective. But sure. knowing Acuity, like they'll invest more into it as well. And then a few different things to just quickly uh, recap: Open Tofu. Uh, i I really like the name I don't know for some reason like yeah, being you know, a vegetarian the maybe
2: got, the name's gotten a lot of flack I feel yeah. like
1: so. I know it has <laughs> but it's more catchier than opentF you know like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> so open dofu uh, like announcement right like I know everybody on the who's active on social media might know this but for people who who didn't know like uh, hashikar changed the licensing model for terraform so what Linux foundation did was uh, it created a fork or took that same repo. Now, OpenTofu is available as an alternative to Terraform with loads and loads of community support. Like Even in the blog that we link, you will see a list of all the different vendors that say that, yep, we are going to support OpenTofu going forward. So it's not just one or two companies. It's like hundreds of companies that are saying that they'll support this open source project. So uh, something to look out for. And then uh, CFPs for uh kubecon europe are already open dude i can't believe that like (laughs) yes like planning phases for kubecon north america chicago 2023 and afps for 2024 are already open so yeah i don't know i don't have any ideas right now but need to start like thinking about this
2: you know it gives you a chance to submit a talk that may have been turned down to the next kubecon if you've already kind of worked on one you could kind of I know you are not supposed to just, you know, regurgitate what's been
1: turned down, obviously, but you yeah. have an
2: idea there that maybe you could drive on. Uh, I mean, that's yeah, you can to improve on,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, like this didn't get accepted, but if I add a few more things to it, maybe that gets accepted. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the percentage ratio for acceptance is like really low. So Fair good long. luck, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I know like this will lead uh, or provide a segue to your news item. But uh, Spectro Cloud, one of the vendors in the Kubernetes ecosystem, they announced a new funding round. They didn't really say what round it was, how much money they raised, what their total valuation is. It's just like, okay, we have some new money from Qualcomm Ventures, and that's about it. Uh, So, uh, if you are at SpectroCloud or if you know more details about this, please share it with us. Like, this is, I don't know, this feels random. Like, oh, we have new money, but
2: that's it. Hey, it's it's exciting stuff, right? anyway
1: yeah. I know. Loves. Congratulations, oh, Cloud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but give us more details.
2: <laughs> speaking of KubeCon, actually, I'm gonna go back before your way. Um yeah. and I heard that the North America one is supposed to be in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um in the whole for another year from now oh i didn't know that okay yeah well this gonna... is this is hearsay i heard it from a few people that so maybe i'm wrong but uh, i think that'd be very cool i've never been uh, I've yeah wanted to go to that city quite often so that's
1: if that's true i'm excited for it. you know my mind directly goes to like oh salt lake city november good time to like book a trip to uh, arches national park Like, after KubeCon, like, dude, that's the only National Park remaining in Utah for me. So that's perfect. (laughs) There
2: you go. You have uh, a
1: goal in mind.
2: (laughs) I like that. I like that. Um, Cool. So yeah, I mean, in terms of funding rounds, um, I did have one on here, which is probably the one you were referencing. Alcyon Mm -hmm. uh, uh, raised $21 in the funding round. The uh, major uh, funder was Veeam. And uh, the connection there is uh, the founder uh, is was previously a casting. in who was um, uh, uh, acquired by uh, Veeam, yeah. so there's probably some good relationships going on there, so congratulations to Niraj, Talia, and um, uh, Vabav uh, mm-hmm. Kamra to um, all that funding round. Really exciting stuff there. If you don't know, their whole thing is around sort of AI-driven Microsoft 365 backup. It's um, yeah. so very uh, interesting and, and different take for uh, Naraj there. So very cool stuff going on over at Alcyon, Uh which I, I forget, I think they might be local... Boston, maybe, not. Oh. maybe I'm making that up in my head. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one I had here was uh, we're going to throw back a little bit to yeah. OpenStack here. So, Red Hat did announce sort of their next gen uh, OpenStack services, but this is specifically um, an uh, early release for uh, Red Hat OpenStack services on OpenShift. So, okay. I remember actually using um, the Cola project. Uh, I don't know if you were familiar with that, but the Cola project was basically bootstrapping uh, OpenStack on Kubernetes Um, and is all in containers. Uh, You could use Kubernetes, you could use containers, but um, very cool stuff. I think this kind of is targeted at the telcos a little bit more, Um, but really a reimagination of the control plane for OpenStack and how to deliver it in a, um, you know, OpenShift environment where, you know, a lot of organizations and, and and folks are going and running their applications. So I think this is sort of in line with a lot of what we've been hearing about, even in like with Kubert, right? Where you yeah. get to run, you know, workloads that may be suited well for uh, VMs. And I know a lot of telcos have, you know, uh, virtualization services and things that are kind of built for OpenStack, I think a ton. I think one of the articles references the percentage of of like a 4G, 5G that's running okay. uh, OpenStack. So if like you're using your, I think one of the article says like, if you're using
1: your cell phone, likely you're um, using OpenStack, open yeah. Okay, so, interesting. So like Ryan, I know you have experience with OpenStack, right? I get the whole cube on OpenShift thing. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like I know it's like only, okay, that makes sense only if you're running OpenShift on bare metal, don't do like, like VMs or VMware on like, and run OpenShift on top, and then run VMs on top. That doesn't make sense. Uh, how? Why? Why? Why OpenStack on OpenShift? Like, doesn't like OpenShift give you some of these services that OpenStack did?
2: Um, well, I think the, the big benefit for OpenStack is really taking advantage of what's already there in terms of scheduling and scaling and those kind of things. The OpenStack services uh, can take advantage of those for you know, uh, providing those and installing those and managing those. That being said, this goes back, I think, to more of Kubernetes being that data center operating system right? The okay. uh, thought process that, you know, uh, the way we hear about Borg being used uh, at Google, at Google where yeah. it kind of runs everything, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so this, I think, is in line with that term, you know, um, kind of perspective where Kubernetes is kind of the thing that just is a workload scheduler. We've really associated it with containers and cloud native apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we get closer and closer and more of this kind of integration happens, I think it becomes more of that data center operating system where, you know, sure go ahead and run this other platform or go ahead and run a VM or go ahead and run what's appropriate for the use case. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm, I think I'm all for it. Um, You know, I'd be curious to see what it does for the OpenStack community, whether it gets more people involved. Um, It was, you know, obviously huge uh, quite some time ago, but still clearly used in many, many cases. So. Okay,
1: watch yeah. makes sense. Thank
2: you. Yeah, fun stuff. Little <laughs> throwback there. Yep. <laughs> um, and of course, we did mention it last time. Kubernetes one twenty is out, and um, all the I won't go into all the details here, but we did put a bunch of links to like storage class assignment is stable, non graceful shutdown is stable. Ceph RBD and FS are officially deprecated. Bye, bye. Uh, control plane, <laughs> yeah, yeah, control <laughs> plane uh, node support can go back another version. So uh, if your control plane is updated, it can go not only to n-2 n-3 meaning a couple three versions older mm-hmm. um to to kind of extend your your support because all the workloads you want less disruptive and that's the whole point yep we'll put those links in there but that's what i had for the news bobbin um so today we have a very exciting guest his name is brian chambers uh he is the chief architect at chick-fil-a so um you might have heard of Chick Fil A. <laughs> uh, they're pretty pretty big, I think, in the last five years or so. Yeah. Um, you know, although I don't necessarily eat it a ton myself, I do. I have had it and I have enjoyed it. But it's really interesting to see their technology side of things and how they're managing all the stores. and And Brian's been a really great advocate for mm-hmm. talking about this. He's talked about a number of different venues as well as like the data on Kubernetes community and a, and a bunch of others. So we got the chance to have him on the show. Um, and I guess without further ado, let's get Brian on the show. All right, Brian, welcome to Kubernetes Spites. Thanks for joining today. Why don't, before we dive into it, you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little about what, who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, so Brian Chambers, um, I'm the chief architect at Chick-fil-A. Um, we are a quick service restaurant company probably most people have heard of, but yep. if not, um, we have about 3,000 restaurants, uh, mostly in North America. And uh, leading the architecture practice um, basically means kind of two things, like um, trying to contextualize a lot of the business uh, problems and challenges uh, that are going on and and helping people understand, like, um, you know, what problem are we trying to solve together? And then how well is technology supporting that today so we can figure out, like, where to invest? Um, And then also, like, looking at all the cool new emerging stuff and really making sure that we right size uh, our investment in technology um, across the business. So. Making sure that we have the right capabilities for you know software engineers to build and deploy things, um, as well as you know things that the business might use directly as well. So we're really focused on that, kind of putting tools in the toolbox and then um, consulting uh, with people and helping them pick the right things, um, you know, as much as possible.
2: Very cool.
1: I know that's awesome. And I like if people haven't heard about Chick Fil A, guys, just do go on Google Maps <laughs> and like find you the closest one. I okay. don't eat meat, but my my wife really likes Chick Fil A, so <laughs> you're missing out, Bob yeah <laughs> okay brian so uh i know like you are on the kubernetes bytes podcast so like we're going to talk about kubernetes in some way a or factor right but i wanted to talk about like what things looked like before like before 2017 when you went to kubecon austin and it snowed and that's when you had the light bulb moment that i need to use kubernetes so like what did the chick-fil-a architecture look like before and then we can dive into like what it looks like today
2: Yeah,
0: there's really two parts. I think we're probably going to talk a lot about the edge uh, side of things, um, which is in restaurants. But, um, you know, we also, of course, uh, had a non-edge footprint for a long time. So, I mean, we were one of the the typical, I think, enterprise companies that did a lot of um, like big middleware tools and, um, you know, uh, ER, ERP centric a long time in the past, um, you know, uh, just a lot of package applications in addition to some SaaS applications. And then, I mean, really software engineering and and Mm -hmm. development looked like building integrations and things like that on middleware platforms, um, you know, between these different tools. Um, And and I say all that because anybody who's worked in that world knows that those things can be really helpful in a lot of ways, but they can also, um, you know, be really challenging um, as well. So uh, Kubernetes, which we'll get to, was a, a part of that modernization story, but probably the thing that um, most people have heard of related to Chick-fil-A and technology and that we'll spend a lot of time on today is our story about technology in the restaurant. And so really the history is, um, you know, the word edge, I guess is kind of just a novelty. Um, it's been something that I think a lot of people have done for a really long time, like okay. had uh, compute close to the action in the store where it was needed. Um, but for us, it was really our point of sale system came with a, like a Windows server that ran um, and still it still does run in many of our restaurants. Um, it's on the way out, but it's still there. And uh, it was a place to really run the point of sale. But What it didn't do is provide um, really any uh, facilities for building and deploying custom things that did anything other than point of sale. So there was some stuff that had to get kind of jammed in there over time, but it was always like super risky to make changes and really long lead times and rollout times and just didn't have the flexibility. I mean, it was like deploying things directly into into the Windows operating system. Um, So that's kind of what that looked like before. And there were a lot of reasons that we wanted to revolutionize that and do uh, different stuff um, with our edge footprint. So that's kind of the two sides and what it looked like historically. And as cloud uh, kind of came along, um, we started embracing some new paradigms, um, you know, both for our primary applications that were traditionally like data center and such and then also the uh, the way that we think about edge as well.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha, makes sense. I actually didn't know the history of Chick-fil-A. I had to like google it cuz I just know the modern Chick-fil-A that I think we know today. Yeah. I didn't realize it traces back to like, you know, early 1940 something i think oh, i saw wow it. okay uh well it did not have a different name right but um yeah no no not too much computing back there um uh, <laughs> not, not so much, not <laughs> yeah. so much. It goes, goes back to
0: truett's original restaurant in uh yeah. on the south side of atlanta um called the dwarf grill and okay. uh and grew up into chick-fil-a um eventually uh, as it as it went to multiple restaurants and um that's been our our brand for a long long time now but um Certainly, a lot of the expansion has been, you know, during the time I've been there, which is the last twenty years or so, and yeah. uh, we've grown from you know a handful of states to pretty much every state except for uh, Alaska and North Dakota. So um, it's definitely definitely changed a lot. The tech has changed, but also the business has gotten a lot a lot bigger and uh, and more diverse
2: in the process as well. Gotta get some Chick Fil A in Alaska, North Dakota, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have gold. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, you know, I think it. You know, as we talk about edge a little bit more and and why you went that direction, I think it'd be good to get the understanding of uh, understanding of sort of what the challenges were that made sort of this rearchitecture happen. Right? Um, you know, was there a point in time where you're like, you know, flip the desk? We can't do this anymore. Uh, you know, moment? too many outages. I, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: Tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, it wasn't quite that dramatic. Um, it was it was really driven by. Incoming business need, uh, to be completely honest. So, um, one of the things I really like that Chick fil A started doing, um, you know, eight or 10 years ago is we started having these things that we call like, um, we call them big moves for a while. Now we call them strategic bets, but it's really just like a top down what are the biggest things that the business is trying to solve for right now so that we can rally around them disproportionately. Um, It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's the only things we do. Um, There's a lot of other stuff that isn't strategic bets that's critical to running the business and serving customers Mm -hmm. and all those things. But it's places that we feel like there's really big opportunity if we can um, either solve problems or take advantage of of opportunities. Um, So we try and focus on those. So one of those several years ago was around uh, what we call restaurant systems capacity. Doesn't mean just technology systems, it really means the whole way that the restaurant works. And for mm-hmm. anyone who's listening, who's been to Chick-fil-A, you've probably experienced uh, the busyness of the restaurants, whether it's yeah. a, a drive-through line, that's like wrapping around the property, still moves fast um, for a bunch of reasons, but um, huge volume there. I mean, same story inside, it's, it's just super busy. We've picked up you know new channels like delivery that we fulfill as well as partner delivery. And there's a ton of volume there. So we just have a lot of uh, challenges that are growth-related, which are really good ones to have, but it's really made it uh, a challenge to continue to scale all of the systems that we had in the restaurant. And like, our goal is to maintain really great experiences for all the people there, um, which of course is the customers, but it also includes that restaurant operator and their team members who are doing a lot of really hard work. So um, all that led us into starting to look at what could we do in the restaurant um, that would help us uh, force-multiply? Um, as much as possible, help us scale. And um, we're an organization, which like most everybody these days (laughs) believes that technology is one of the key elements. Um, We would say people process data technology, but technology Mm -hmm. is a key element in thinking about how do we help the business get where it wants to go, achieve the things that it wants to achieve. And um, so that kind of led us down this journey of uh, getting into things like uh, IoT uh, enablement, starting in our kitchen. Um, We really wanted to uh, look at the kitchen as a bottleneck that we were trying to, um, solve problems for decision-making for team members, easier, et cetera, led us into starting to connect things. IOT is a buzzword, but really just connecting all the things that exist there, fryers, grills, holding cabinets, all these kinds of things with the ability to start to work towards, um, you know, maybe automating stuff, or at least, um, providing more real time intelligence to the people working there, take away some of their thinking and cognitive load that they have to do to figure out what to cook and when, Um, Mm -hmm. and try and systematize a lot of that stuff. So um, the really fast version of that is when we started doing things with IoT, it's like, okay, there's like two options here. One is you make the thing smart and you're feeding data into a fryer or a grill or whatever, and you're asking it to make its own decisions and maybe send some things back out. Um, That sounds really bad. Um, (laughs) The alternative is you put the intelligence somewhere else and um, we would have loved to have done things like that in the cloud. Um, That's far easier, far fewer constraints. Um, one of the constraints of the cloud, though, is that if you're on at a site that doesn't have super reliable connectivity or you just can't tolerate latency or potential outages, you've got to come up with something else. And so that led us into the edge and uh, and then ultimately, you know, to Kubernetes. But what we really wanted was a, a way to take applications uh, and run them uh, in that restaurant environment and let them interact with all the stuff that was there, all the things. Point of sale is something that's entering that ecosystem like right now as we speak. So really building this ecosystem of Everything's open. Everything um, can share data. Um, We can externalize intelligence from the things into the edge and build apps that can sort of like interact with all this stuff and, you know, make great things happen for the operator, the team member, um, the customers as well in the restaurant.
2: Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, I you know, One point you made there was IoT Edge being buzzwords. And we hear them all the time, really? I think more and more every day. Um, was was Edge something that was sort of the direction you heard it and saw the architecture and said, this is what we need? Or did you, were you kind of, or, I mean, you just said you were kind of driven by growth and a bunch of other things. Was it just happened to be that sort of the architecture that you were driving towards happened to be sort of Edge?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it, of course, the way I'll answer it sounds like, <laughs> We're awesome. But I mean, the, the truth is that like we, we, um, we didn't come up with that term the first time, but we didn't really know what to call what we were doing at first. Like other than just like computer in the rest <laughs> of yeah, exactly. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so we actually ended up using edge pretty early on, but like there were other terms at the time that, uh, edge wasn't really big yet. It was fog computing is what people were saying. Oh um, yeah. Terrible term. Uh, I'm glad that one (laughs) went away. I understand the intent of it, but I was like, oh, we don't want to call it our Fog Compute. So um, (laughs) we kind of started using Edge. We had this like nifty little logo uh, that we we just called it the Edge Compute. Um, We initially rebranded it, but that was uh, really driven, like you said, driven by a business need to um, manage the constraints that we had at the restaurant and try and create uh, a place to run applications that was resilient, um, really as available as our LAN is, which is pretty good. The LAN in the restaurant's great. Um, and our WAN connections are pretty decent, but um, you know, they're mostly up, but there's those times that they're not. And we anticipated business needs um, coming that we're going to not be okay. Like if you have something that's a 10x force multiplier for a team member, which is the goal, mm-hmm. and then it goes away, even for an hour, it happens to be during lunch, that could be really bad operationally yeah, and sure. yeah. bad service or, you know, um, a bunch of issues, a lot of stress. And so we just wanted to mitigate some of those things which led us to think about putting something on prem. Maybe that's the other thing you could call it, but um, we like the term edge. And uh, as that sort of developed, it's like, yeah, that is what we're really trying to do. Yep. Our version of edge is at the store. Other people's is really, my definition of it is just as close to the user as is necessary to create the experience you want, but no closer. Um, yep. So for a lot of people that CDNs or um, serverless functions at a CDN or whatever, for us, it just happened to be, we needed to get into the restaurant due to a uh, last mile network. So that's what we did.
1: And gotcha. like- that that's an interesting use case, right? When I was thinking about the Chick Fil A use case, I was mostly focused on point of sale systems and how you run those. But uh, building a, a hub for those all all the devices that are inside the store and making sure order gets processed at the right time and make sure like all the intelligence is built at the edge, like that's awesome. Like, yeah, uh, I, that's new things that I learned today. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I don't know what your busiest time of day is for Chick Fil A, because I know that. you kind of do breakfast as well. I I haven't done that myself, but, um, you know, it's kind of like you have a a black Friday, you know, at certain times of the day, every day. I mean, in the, in this world of sort of a bad dining experience, people, you know, go to the internet with their their pitchforks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could really affect the restaurant at the end of the day, right? Yeah, totally.
0: I mean, and we're, I mean, 1130 till like two o'clock roughly. Um, it's crazy. And then we have like, you know, smaller spikes, uh, for dinner, and it kind of depends a little in the restaurant, but this is just yep. sort of, you know, um, the median or Friends. whatever. Yeah,
1: um,
0: yeah but uh, little bumps, you know, at breakfast time and then some lull and then lunch is crazy. Um, and then a lull and then you've got the dinner time that uh, comes in the evening that isn't quite as busy as lunch, but can still be really busy. And, and some stores, just based on where they are, tend to have bigger dinners, but I'd say that's probably rare. But yeah, we've got these, you know, big spikes of uh, traffic that are happening. I mean, they're predictable, like roughly, we kind of know what we're going to yep. deal with. There's not a, we don't get 10 X more customers uh, most of the time um, than yeah. we would on a normal day. So it's not like your web scale systems uh, type problems, mm-hmm. yep. but it is a really, you know, it's a whole bunch of people who are looking for a great experience who we want to serve really well. And if the technology isn't reliable and doesn't do what it needs to do, that could, could impact that. And that's really yeah. you know, that's what it all comes back to is the goal is just to make sure that people have a great experience.
1: Nice. Yeah, cool. I think Ryan's ulterior motive. with this question was just like figuring out the best time to when go to, to a show Chick-fil-A. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it. <laughs> uh,
0: go the we would we would love that. Um,
2: I had to get the data out of Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure.
1: Okay, so Brian, we have teased Kubernetes enough and Kubernetes at the edge enough. Let's talk about what the stack looks like today and why did you choose K 3s specifically to to build this new architecture or the new stack architecture? And let's cover everything from the hardware all the way up to the apps.
0: Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so maybe I'll just give you the, uh, the high level survey view yep. first and we can kind of dig in. So, um, if you think about the stack, essentially what we have is, uh, each restaurant has three, uh, Intel nooks and, mm-hmm. um, on that we essentially are running, um, on bare metal. So you've got, uh, Ubuntu, we were, we're 1804, which is the long-term support edition, yep. um, that was the newest at the time that we started. Um, and then we essentially, uh, I won't go into all the details about it cause it can get really hard to talk about without a picture, but we did yeah. some stuff with overlay FS to essentially, um, we, we lay down a partition scheme, um, mm-hmm. before we get to the operating system that effectively the OS is there. Um, the one that you're going to boot off of and all that kind of stuff, but you've got the OS there and you've got some other partitions, um, some of which are durable. So you could store yeah. certain things there that would last through the next thing, which we call a wipe. Um, and then we, with overlay FS, we did some tricks that basically let us build up our image on top of that, which includes K threes and patches and all these other kinds of things that may be on the box. Um, but that's all wipeable remotely back to its initial, uh, show up state, the initial image that it had, um, the only things that would remain would be on that durable partition, um, which are pretty minimal. And then essentially that, what that lets us do is wipe our whole stack back to, you know, to zero for having operational issues or whatever, um, and start over or, uh, you know, rebuild on a different version, potentially of OS. We actually haven't had to do that long-term support uh, okay. OS so far. We've just added patches, but let's us do that or new version of K3s or whatever. So that's sort of the stack. It's uh, the Intel Nooks, the partition scheme, the Ubuntu 18.04, and then we ultimately are running um, K3s on uh, bare metal um, on top of that. And um, so you asked about why K3s. So... Uh, time travel back to before that KubeCon uh, that we talked about at the yeah. very beginning. Yeah, um, One thing that we knew is that we wanted these container, or these applications, I spoiled it, uh, these applications <laughs> that are going to run in store to be containerized. Like yeah. why? Well, we really wanted to mirror the paradigms that our software engineers are used to in the cloud as much as possible. And, you know, container-based deployments uh, had become, you know, the de facto for us, um, as well as uh, it was obvious that was where the industry was going for the foreseeable future. And so, you know, we didn't want to do it just because of that, but with that comes all of the open source ecosystem, you know, all of the community engagement, all of the stuff that you you get, in addition to the technology itself, which we really put a, a high value on. So um, we knew we wanted containers. And so we looked at all the options, like HashiCorp Nomad, um, you know, Docker yeah. Swarm. We, we actually had a prototype in a couple of restaurants that was Docker Swarm based initially. Nice. Um, but that kubecon that we talked about the 2017 snow CubeCon, um mm-hmm. just was it was just apparent that kubernetes was going to win the day when it came to container orchestration and again kind of same point but when something wins the day you have other things that continue to exist that are still yeah. can be great solutions yep. but there's a lot of um a lot of the ecosystem comes with it a lot of the, a lot of people want to work on that stack like yep. we, you can't understate that like The best solution isn't always the most technically pure solution. It's also the one that brings the things that make sense. It's something you can manage and support, which requires people. If you want people, you got to have people who want to work on that thing. Um, It's got to be a compelling job. So like you wrap all that stuff together and it was like, okay, like we tried a bunch of stuff. We kind of had a perception that maybe Kubernetes was too heavy for our use Mm -hmm. case, Um, but it looked like it was going to win the day. And then we found uh, K3s, um, which for anyone who's unfamiliar. It's Kubernetes minus all the cloud um, orchestration stuff in a single binary. Um, I think it now supports etcd, but it was uh, SQLite based yeah. uh, in the early days. And it was just simple to bootstrap, stand up and run. Um, and so once we once we found it, we just really loved what it brought to the table and kind of embraced that full on. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say uh, to that question is one thing that I think we did with Kubernetes that has been really, really great for Chick Fil A is we didn't get super cute about all the things that we could do. Um, our number one goal was I have a containerized application um, or maybe like a you know a foundational service like a database or something like that, and I wanted to be resilient to you know um, a node failure, and I wanted to be scheduled to run somewhere that's active yep. as part of the cluster, and that's what we use it for. Um, there's a couple little. Additional things we've done over time, like we have an operator that does some stuff with uh, restarting pods when secrets get updated and things like that that are convenient, but we really wanted to keep it as simple as possible so that it was as easy to manage as possible because we knew from the start we're dealing with, um, you know, at the time it was probably 2,500, but 2,500 and growing uh, footprints of this and you just got to make a lot of trade-offs and try and keep it as simple as possible for it to be something that you can actually uh you know work with and manage at scale so i think that was a really good decision for us uh in selecting k3s as well as that we chose it but also the way that we chose to use it um, it's up for success
1: and i think it make makes sense right like for kubernetes if you want to run a kubernetes cluster you need a a like minimum requirements from a cpu and memory perspective uh which I think makes the nooks unusable, right? You have to go with like server class hardware that's optimized for the edge. And yeah, that creates a whole lot of other issues. So no, K3S makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about
2: the nooks too. Um, was, was like form factor or anything else sort of a, um, a gate to sort of choosing the the nooks? Yeah,
0: great question. Um, we, we've loved the nooks. They've been amazing. Um, it's sad Intel discontinued them, but glad to keep them going. <laughs> so, um, They've been awesome. So uh, yeah, form factor was one of the biggest things that we were considering because we are very space constrained in the restaurant. Um, That's one of those capacity constraints actually, like having room to keep all of the uh, food and have place, you know, in the office having room for people to even get in there and do the things they need to do. So um, we're dealing like with a very small physical space uh, that we can put these things in, you know, along with the other networking gear and point of sale server and stuff that's been there. So very small. So we couldn't go with like you know blade servers or something like that we don't have a server closet or anything of that nature so usually this is in in the office like the back office in the restaurant um you know in a rack on the wall so space form factor and then uh cost was a big thing because this was brand new you know five and a half uh six years ago and we didn't we didn't know what was going to happen we didn't know yeah. what kind of resources we were actually going to need we knew we needed some bare minimum stuff and we knew some of the early use cases but we weren't sure like what we'd end up running, and we didn't want to make a massive capital investment in hardware that was just going to sit there. And so it's turned out that we've pretty well right sized it um, for the season that we started with, and um, we're doing a, a refresh shortly, and um, you know, upping uh, our specs a little bit. Um, but like for the most part, picking a small form factor and keeping it low cost. Um, another advantage to low cost actually is we can do the cattle not pets thing with our nodes so if they're misbehaving i mentioned wiping them and bringing them back but if they don't cooperate and they have some sort of lingering issue we just take them out of the cluster and drop ship a replacement and you know if if we can't warranty it for some reason we're out like you know a few hundred bucks that's very different than being out five thousand dollars per that happens um so that's that was a pretty awesome design decision that really the confluence of our requirements and constraints. And then, you know, what was available at the time kind of set us up to do some of these things um, that, you know, I'm not sure we'll really do those forever. If we have to do machine learning uh, at the edge at some point, we're probably not throwing away, you know, NVIDIA boxes or something like that <laughs> or, or whatever. So it, worked, it worked for a season. We'll see we'll see what happens in the future. But uh, those yeah. are definitely some of the things that we were managing when we thought about the hardware.
2: Got it, got it. Yeah. So you, you said a few other things. Uh, the database is one I do want to come back to later on, uh, because especially at that time, 2017, which was, I think, if I were to like pinpoint a year oh. of like big changes in the, the container ecosystem, 2017 is definitely high on my list. Yeah. I mean, because like at that time, Mesosphere was still doing really well. But then you had these changes from, like you said, Swarm and everything mm-hmm. else. Um now you also mentioned you had i think it was twenty five to three thousand restaurants at this time it was more like twenty five hundred yeah I mentioned um were you rolling all of this out um to those twenty five hundred uh what did the changes look like? from a restaurant that already existed with technology versus if you were to like, you know, start a, you know, build a Chick-fil-A in, in the center sure. of Boston, you know, what's that difference look
0: like? Yeah, actually the, both of those were exactly the same, which is part of the design. So um, we, we do like phased rollout. So through in 2018, I think throughout the year of 2018 is when we were rolling out. Um, it may have been a little in 17 and maybe a little in 19. I'm trying to remember the exact details, but, um, but yeah, the, the architecture is the same. So, um, essentially, we didn't really hit on this before, but all that has to happen for these to enter into a restaurant is uh, they show up with a power and Ethernet cable, and there's a designated port that they get plugged into in each of our uh, switches you know, in the nice. network track. Um, so we have there's one uh, nook that's in each of the switches. So we have three switches for resiliency for a bunch of other things in store. So we're essentially resilient to node failure, switch failure. We have two routers in the store, so router failure. So there's a ton of resiliency baked into that network stack that we're able to um, be the beneficiaries of with this architecture. But that's all you have to do is basically plug it in, and everything else is uh, taken care of automatically um, by it reaching out to the cloud and you know through API interactions and stuff like that. So it's pretty straightforward. So um, in a uh, an existing store install, uh, we did a mix of having somebody go in and install them and shipping them to the store and having the team do it. Um, the uh, shipping it to the store and having the team do it is easy, but it's another thing to do and capacity, like we said. So we
2: yep. ended up doing
0: mostly um, working with an installer to do that for us. But um, yeah, it's super simple. And so for a new store, when they install everything, they just plug those in and whenever there's power, they come up and check in, register themselves and off we go. So um, same approach either way. Um, and we tried to make that, we, we labored intensively to make that as simple as possible and zero touch as possible for the people at the store. We don't have IT technicians in the field to go um, manage these things. So the only time somebody's really visiting would be for like an install or uh, or something like that the first time. But replacements, generally we drop ship replacements and have them plug them in, um, things like that. So we wanted to be as easy as possible to make that process you know easy on the people there.
2: Got it. And, and in terms of the the actual sort of devices, the IoT devices in the restaurant, did, did they need awareness of now, hey, this thing lives in my restaurant or just, you know, how did, how did that work?
0: Yeah, no magic. So um, there's a, a whole process for uh, bringing the devices in that we're working in, in parallel to the edge. So like I said, we kind of started with IoT, um, you know, driving towards solving a lot of our capacity issues. So okay. before we even started on the edge, the first thing we were doing was figuring out like, how can we connect all these devices that exist? We started working upstream with the manufacturers of all of those uh, to figure out like how that might work and ended up providing, um, essentially, it's an SDK that walks them through a provisioning and onboarding process. Um, it's OAuth driven. Um, and there's a bunch of other little details in there we won't, won't get into, but um, essentially they they onboard into our environment. They get credentials distributed to them to join the right network where the edge stuff lives. And then they start talking over some standard uh, protocols. And uh, generally speaking, we don't allow devices to talk out over the network, like to the cloud or anything like that. So they broker through uh, the edge. They can fail over if the edge was down completely and still send data out, like telemetry data out and such. Um, Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, everything uh, points to the edge first. So most of the uh, communications are MQTT driven. So as opposed to like a REST API type world that we're all used to or gRPC or things like that. Um, this is all pretty much message driven with MQTT, lightweight messaging protocol. Um, and they, they pass things over that. So it's pub sub and, uh, then we do, um, you know, we host the broker at the edge and, uh, everybody, you know, kind of talks there to get the messages. And then we also asynchronously send all that stuff up to the cloud so that it can make its way into our data lake analytics ecosystem, all that stuff. Um, so we're collecting all the business data, you know, at all times and, and shipping it up whenever we can. For offline, it's sort of a store and forward, um, you know, and uh, and ships it out when it comes back.
1: Okay. okay. So Brian, like this sounds like a simple architecture, but difficult to design. Like I wanted to ask you about like, how did you design to avoid or eliminate like single points of failures, right? Because you said everything eventually makes its way back to your core backend or core data center.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we avoid any, any, any single points of failures in the stack?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with the the three nooks um, for sure. And then the the K3s on there, Mm -hmm. scheduling workloads across nodes that are available. So that's kind of part one. Um, Part two would be definitely that network stack that we described. So having a resilient network is critical to having resilient infrastructure uh, at the compute level. So we've got a lot of resiliency baked in there um, as well. And uh, then obviously we we do have uh, the WAN network that we're dependent on. Um, we have two connections there, but the failover is generally like uh, an LTE type deal, okay, so great. not something high throughput. So we actually don't usually do any activity, um, which is kind of a resiliency play for the restaurant. We don't want to saturate that network with IoT related or even like a lot of the point of sale related data or things like that. We really want that for like credit card processing, digital ordering, like things that are critical to the yep. business. And so, you know, we're, we're aggregating things uh, in the cluster during that time period and then then shipping out later. Um, and then everything that we do on our cloud kind of control plane side, mm-hmm. which is where all of our, we'll probably talk about some of the other services there, but we're GitOps based. So like the um, all the tooling around that runs on the cloud side to orchestrate deployments and canaries gotcha. and all that fun. The aggregation of um, operational telemetry, shipping uh, things out via vector to other teams, and then also collecting um, operational telemetry for the platform team to use. Like all that stuff runs in Kubernetes uh, proper on the cloud side. So uh, EKS-based Kubernetes cluster. And uh, we've been running that like from day one as well. So we've had a lot of edge experience. We're also running, you know, a decent-sized cluster uh, on the cloud side to support all of those edge footprints as well. So I think those are probably the main things. Um, Maybe the other is just taking advantage of those three nodes with, uh, you know, like shared database. Um, We've had Mongo as part of the stack from the beginning to back our MQTT broker. So little things like that as well, but that's really uh, the majority of the resiliency story. And then we made some compromises on it too, where like our persistence is, uh, our SLA on persistence is best effort. Um, We don't make guarantees. um, And I think we'll talk about that some more, but um, we don't guarantee that we'll have uh, things forever. That that makes a very complicated architecture uh, to support in 3000 restaurants, um, you know, with the the footprint that we have. So um, there's a bunch of things like that that we sort of made trade-offs on. Um, Another would be, trying to be highly recoverable. Um, Mm -hmm. So easy recovery of a cluster, for example, um, or being able to wipe it away and bring it back as opposed to trying to make it highly available where it like never goes down, which is what we would do in the cloud. So um, you got a lot more resources on the cloud side in terms of like nodes that can be in a separate control plane and all those kinds of things. Um, We don't have that luxury. So we really traded off a lot of the availability things for recoverability and simplicity, which I think were were really good for us given our use cases.
1: And I think that makes sense, right? I think the lunch hour that you mentioned, like if a Nook goes down, it looks like based on your architecture, the restaurant can continue operating on a two node basis. Even if, I think during our intro call, you said even if the second node goes down, you can still fully function on a single Nook, which is great. And as you said, uh, pull the plug, reinstall it, and then it joins the cluster again. So, okay.
2: Yeah,
0: that's- trying to do graceful degradations whenever possible. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, even when I remember when I started getting into cloud stuff, like the whole story was, you know, cattle, not pets and anticipate things fail. Like, don't be friends yep. with your, uh, with your infrastructure and all that. And um, we tried to apply that as much as possible to this world of having to care about the infrastructure still, try to not expect anything to be there forever, try to not to depend mm-hmm. on it long-term and and try to build and design as much as we could for um like uh, ephemerality uh, more or less. And, and I, again, with the, footprint that we have, it would have been really hard to support it at scale without a massive team if we hadn't done a lot of those things. So I think they were a good trade-off in our our situation.
2: I like that distinction between recoverability versus availability, right? Um, And especially dealing with like a physical restaurant you know, Adalia, hurricane Adalia or Lee comes rolling through and blows away a restaurant. I think yeah. that makes a big difference, yeah. especially when you're working with compute at the edge, right? Yeah, um, totally. You know, uh, so I think that's just a, a neat point I want to make. Um, <clears throat> speaking of what's running at the edge, let's talk a little bit about more like the, uh, the application components that make up what's running in each restaurant. So I know I heard, um, you know, broker, I've heard of her database. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other stateless things kind of sending stuff somewhere. So give us a breakdown a little bit about what that looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a number of services that the platform team operates. So I'll start with those and kind of talk about those, um, as, as the example. So, um, first of all, the ones you mentioned, so MQTT is pretty central, uh, to our stack. So we run that broker, um, at the edge. Um, mm-hmm. in addition to that, uh, We, I mentioned the, all the devices and all, like all the stuff, even the applications that run at the edge, all kind of follow this OAuth based uh, onboarding process. They have to get credentials to be allowed to connect to the broker or talk to cloud services or whatever else. So that's like an important part um, is is managing all that. So um, we also have uh, an OAuth server that we wrote actually from scratch and go on the cloud side. Why? because of uh, licensing costs at the time. And because we actually wanted some of the, we wanted like OAuth device code flow, which didn't exist in okay. any of the commercial products at the time um, because we wanted like an operator approval process for new devices coming into their store. So trying to make none of the things have to put authentication info on the screen. Instead it was mm-hmm. like, go to this URL and like, you know, do that whole thing. Um, everybody's familiar with on like Apple TVs and Roku's and all that stuff. So um, we sort of used that model Um, But all of these things have to have credentials. So in the event that we're offline and some, and um, I should back up and say they're all Jot based um, JWT. So Mm -hmm. permissions are embedded in the token. So you can see like all the resources, you know, it's signed by, um, you know, with the proper certificate on the cloud side, but all that sounds great. But if we're offline at the edge and it's time to refresh your token um, (laughs) and you can't reach the cloud, like, do you, are you just down? (laughs) That happens. So there's also a local auth um, server at the edge, which uh, it doesn't contain, we didn't want to deal with all the complexity of syncing permissions down and trying to keep those up to date. It doesn't even make sense if you're offline anyway. Um, so we, uh, we did something I think is a cool little trick, which is uh, we have a separate um, CA at the edge in the restaurant that can re-sign a valid token. So it, it checks to make sure the current token is valid and then it can re-sign it with a different authority that says, hey, this one was signed by the edge instead and it just mints the same permissions that already existed. So it effectively is like an extension of the current token, um, so it can keep working in the store. And then hopefully next time they come through uh, and you know look for a, a refresh, you know, uh, whenever that is, depends on the device, but whenever they come through for a refresh, hopefully we're back online, any permission changes could get propagated and, and off they go. But um, we have that running there as well. Um, I guess we'll get into a uh, database really fast. So um, MongoDB I mentioned backs our uh, broker, over time, mm-hmm. um, while we don't make persistence guarantees to uh, applications running at the edge, we do offer persistence as a service because it's, for the most part, things last. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in theory, um, you know, Postgres is there uh, most of the time, and um, <laughs> it's available to store things. Or, you know, really like we encourage like a hydrate, uh, rehydrate pattern. So, when you're online, send things to the cloud and keep your state up there. Uh, should you get blown away and have to be recreated as an application, like rehydrate. So think about like an iPhone. You know your new one shows up. You know you log into your iCloud account. And poof, everything is back right nice. where you went, yeah. you know yeah. at the time. We encourage that pattern a lot um, for edge uh, applications. So like edge native applications. So, so do so applications don't on persistence. Do
2: applications teams have to have like the. Uh, Vetted on how their architecture looks so that it it is aware of the fact that we don't guarantee per- persistence.
0: Yeah, there there was a ton of um like direct working with the early customers when we started off, and then like a lot of uh like documentation, something we don't talk about in technology that much, but yeah, a lot of documenting like the constraints, the expectations, the good patterns mm-hmm. for uh, delivery, um, et cetera. So we put a lot of effort into that early, and I think did a decent job at it. We could have certainly uh, certainly done better, but. Um, but yeah, it is a little bit of a paradigm shift, uh, for teams, especially used to the cloud, um, you know, where, where everything's here forever. Um, and, uh, yeah, it it took a little, uh, took a little learning, but I I think it's gone decently well. Um, there, there aren't a massive number of needs for a lot of long-term persistence. Like we're facilitating a lot of things that probably matter over a 30 second minute, you know, five minute window, but maybe if, if the, the data probably doesn't matter that much after that, for a lot of our use cases. It's communication across things in the restaurant it's like rolling things up um you know and, and understanding sort of like demand things like that so the demand for fries an hour ago doesn't really matter right like <laughs> it mattered in the in the moment you know it was useful so that helps a lot too like the nature of the use cases that we're supporting yeah. don't necessarily require like this be, this is not our source of truth for restaurant sales for example like sure um we don't we don't do things like that but nevertheless postgres is there um for people who want want to dump a bunch of data and use SQL, you know, rolling Mm -hmm. things up or um, or things like that. So it's a helpful tool. So that's there as well. Um, Another one is, uh, we'll get us into uh, GitOps a little bit. Um, I I like to say that we stumbled into GitOps. Like we didn't actually know that was a thing uh, or a term. (laughs) Um, We just thought, hey, we have a whole lot of clusters that we're going to have to manage the state of. And we Mm -hmm. know that we're going to be dealing with a bunch of like, YAML files and things that define the configure, the cluster. How could we manage like all of these deployments? We're like, what if we just have a Git repository per location? Everybody always asks about that. So I'll come back to it. Um, (laughs) We have a Git repo per location. Every restaurant has one. We always know the state that that cluster should be in by looking at that repo. We can reproduce it from scratch easily by just sucking down that source config again. Awesome. And then we basically just write a little agent that like pulls from Git applies the changes and then like closes the feedback loop on did everything go well or not. And that's exactly what we ended up doing. So, um, Argo CD did not exist when we started and flux was early and Mm -hmm. didn't really fit what we were looking for. So we wrote our own, um, this is, this is a theme is we wrote our own a lot, even though we hate writing our own and would rather (laughs) benefit from the ecosystem. Um, we wrote our own, it's super simple, lightweight go app that just, uh, does exactly what I described, it, it pulls its uh, locations repo and applies the changes, feedbacks. And then on the cloud side of that, we we have um, some tooling that is eff- effectively helps teams take a change that they want to make. So let, let's say application A, they want to roll it out to a group of stores, they can actually set up like a schedule effectively of like, go to these 100, then these 300, then these 500 and kind of like phase their uh, rollout. And so they can define groups um, and then take that change, the YAML change that they need to make for their app, like right at once. And then we, you know, we stamp copies of it out into all those Git repos for them. And as that happens, it gets rolled out. And then if there's feedback that these are failing, that something's wrong, um, we have some built-in canary processes. So, uh, you know, if we see a failure rate of a certain percentage that they define then it'll stop the rollout, and it won't template it out in any more repos. and Nobody else will apply it. They can go figure out the root cause, fix it. You know, repeat. Um, so so you have like a,
2: a super repo that's stamped out to a bunch of smaller repos. So uh,
0: like effectively, that. yeah. So um, it, it's sort of that that part's sort of meta. It doesn't uh, it doesn't really exist, but everybody's effectively converging on a gold uh, standard over time. So gotcha. yeah, um, we let we let people basically deal with it, uh, like their their version of an app so like think of every app has a folder uh in the restaurant repo yeah so
2: what what varies between i mean all these restaurants um what varies between the restaurants where you get benefits from having a, an individual repo per
0: yeah store? so over the long term nothing um mm-hmm. but in the short to medium term it could be any number of things so generally um you know like uh in a cloud world we would say it's probably not a good thing if you're not releasing uh, and getting things into production, you know, with really small batches, small features sure. every day, preferably many times a day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we love that paradigm, but when it comes to restaurants and some of the systems that could be involved, there's sometimes more like some of these things require, uh, the solutions that use, uh, this stack, the business applications, they may require like a hardware installation sure. that goes with them, or they may like point of sale related stuff, may be too high risk, uh, to change everywhere at once across all stores you know, just in the event that something went wrong, like that's our that's our revenue channel. Um, so there's a lot of things that have varying cadences of rollout. Like some people may hit the whole chain in a day with their change um, yep. if they're in a, a good steady state. And some people may be initial rollout and it may take them three months to do that. So over the, uh, on any given day, any given store could look different than another, um, you know, within the uh, the list of possible apps or maybe have something brand new that others don't have yet. But over time, they would all converge on uh, effectively a gold standard. And we have some stuff to kind of go audit and make sure that there's nobody who's been missed and is lingering and is drifting um, from a config perspective, which is fairly easy. Like you're just ripping through Git repos and comparing stuff. So um, Git also made it really easy to write a lot of that tooling. So that's all in a a, a custom run, uh, not custom, but a self-hosted Git lab that we run in that Kubernetes cluster on the cloud side. So,
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I could imagine, you know, you get a new... Uh, IoT fryer that has Chat GPT make your fries for you can't nice. be installed on, on every one of your restaurants Chachi. at the same time, you know, let alone the tech stack itself. Um, you know, I don't yeah. know, maybe that is a future fryer that we can, we can,
0: yeah, we'll have to work on that. We don't have that yet, but uh, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we could, we could definitely work on that. We'll, uh, we'll outline <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> but um, speaking of uh, the platform itself, in terms of like you know, OS versions and and the actual K- K3s versions and um, things like that. That's all handled, um, by the GitOps process as well, or? That one is, is not a- GitOps. Great okay. question.
0: Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. um, anything inside the cluster is handled by GitOps. Um, okay. so it assumes that the cluster exists and, and, and uh, Vessel is the name of the app. I'll probably end up saying it. Um, Vessel runs in the, uh, in the cluster. So that's, it's like, it's paradigm, it's context as it, it lives in Kubernetes. Yep. Um, so everything other than that is handled through that process I described before that is uh, that allows us to like wipe and uh, recreate the cluster. So if you're familiar with like uh, the CloudInit model that mm-hmm. Ubuntu uses, it's very similar to that. So if, effectively, when a node comes online and checks in, it, it uh, talks to a service called HAMS. Here's another metadata service. One of the guys on okay. our team yeah. thought that was <laughs> a fun name. Um, so, uh, yeah, you check in with hams and then hams basically is like the controller that says, do you need to like wipe yourself back to, um, a clean, uh, slate again or not. And if not, it basically, uh, dispenses, uh, a script to you, which is your thing to run, uh, to set yourself up. So basically points gotcha. you to it, you download it, um, S3 base. So essentially, uh, we could have any number of those going. Usually there's just one version Uh, at any given time, but if we were doing, um, you know, uh, rolling out operating system uh, patching, you know, which should uh, be resilient, you know, through wipes and recreates um, or things like that, we can basically update that instruction set with new things. That could also include update K3s to the latest version or things like that. Um, So that facilitates all of that process. Um, The only thing that that doesn't cover would be like a, a foundational base operating system upgrade and yep. um, our hunch turned out right. We thought with a long term support uh, edition Ubuntu, we would be able to just continue to apply security patches mm-hmm. and get to a hardware refresh before a major OS upgrade was needed. So we had yeah. a, a plan to do it, but we haven't had to do it. Um, so we'll be doing that through uh, hardware refresh.
1: Uh, gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. So, like uh, Brian, we spoke a lot about how things look like at the edge, and then we spoke about how developers are pushing things. But from yeah. an operations perspective, right, or from a control center perspective, how are you managing these 2,800 plus locations? Like, what does the, I don't know, the, like, the, the control room look like?
0: Yeah, um, it looks like everybody's at home working on their laptop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no, like, overlord knock anywhere? No, don't know, <laughs> come on.
1: <I'm> just,
0: <laughs> bro, unfortunately it not. Um, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd, be kind of, it'd be cool, but I don't think we need it. <laughs> Um, we actually have a couple uh, facilities, so um, I'll start in the, the technology side. So um, one of the things I didn't mention that's in the clusters is Prometheus. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're collecting metrics uh, from all the apps that have a slash metrics endpoint and um, pulling all those, as well as uh, we ultimately are pulling things via vector uh, from the Kubernetes log uh, API. So we're basically grabbing all the operational telemetry stuff, both for the platform team, as well as the customers of the platform. And then uh, using Vector to ship that stuff out. The out is actually Vector again in our Kubernetes cluster on the cloud side. And then we do uh, some fan, some tagging-based fan out. Um, so in our environment, we have a number of different application teams that have different preferences in terms of observability tooling. Yep. So the core platform team does most of their stuff with Grafana that they have a little bit of uh, Datadog mixed in as well. But we have other teams that use only Datadog or... Um, some CloudWatch here and there, so we wanted to support um, you know not forcing them into a particular tool to get their edge telemetry. So uh, Vector fans those things out into those different teams, um, you know, tool of preference uh, for observability purposes. Um, so the platform team, like I said, mostly Grafana. Um, we get a lot of uh, you know the, the telemetry data there, and then in, in addition to what we get from um, you know Vector and, and Prometheus uh, from the edge, we also have Some applications, they are apps, but they're really monitoring apps. So we have like a synthetic client that runs at the edge in each store that exercises a lot of our local services. So it'll exercise in QTT, local auth, database, things like that, and make sure that those are, it's getting a good experience from those connect, and that gives us another data point or set of data points that we send up and aggregate in with that other operational telemetry to get really a picture of if a store is healthy or not. Um, and then we've got some stuff that comes from our network uh, stack from an API perspective, so that like if a store just disappears, like did the cluster go down? Is the hardware dead? <laughs> um, is a yeah. power out? Is it an internet outage? Is it that you know something else? We don't necessarily know from afar. so we have to pull in a lot of different data from different places sure. to get a best effort picture. And then we have some core partnerships, um, our internal help desk that serves restaurants, being one of them, um, we also have a third party partner who, we packaged up a lot of the basic um, support functions and gave them to them. The, the main one of those is: is something wrong? Wipe the node, <laughs> see if anything okay. is <laughs> still. Um, But we basically packaged that all up so we can send incidents <laughs> over to them and have them do that. So our team could stay more focused on the uh, engineering tasks uh, and continuing to evolve the platform and things like that.
2: Yeah, makes sense. And 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 I know, like obviously, the 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 growth of the restaurant really skyrocketed in the last, you know, five years or so, but do you think changing this, this, architecture has, you know, positively negatively impacted the amount of people that it goes into managing like a, a restaurant, let's say.
0: Uh, it probably hasn't had an impact on the the number of people to run the restaurant, to be honest. Um, I, mm-hmm. I hope it has made the job of a lot of those people a little bit easier. Um, so some of the, the assistance things um, we have, I mean, I thought we would get into if you asked me five years ago if I thought we'd be doing any automated cooking stuff at all today, I would have said yes, um, but we're actually not doing that yet. Okay. Um, some of those have proven to be just more business challenges, I would say, than anything else. Like I think it's technically possible, but there's a lot to figure out. So um, yeah, we haven't done that. So we haven't really like reduced the need for humans, and that's not really our primary goal. It's really yeah. to make the experience of the humans who are there and who are working um, mm-hmm. as frictionless and easy. and and comfortable as possible, and I think we've made some strides in that direction, but still have a long way to go in terms of um, additional things we can do to make make the role easier and maybe tackle some of the new problems that are emerging. A lot of supply chain um, stuff. We really would love to get a much better call it observability picture of the restaurant. I don't mean systems mm-hmm. observability, but really like business observability, like um, you know everything about the metrics that happen for our drive through or you know time people spend in queues nice, and all that nice. kind of stuff. So. Um, we, we talked about the fly, that fly is flying right in front of the he's, he's
2: visited <laughs> you towards the end here. No, I know you're,
0: he's, like you're harassing me. Um, <laughs> Doing me a great job. But, uh, I'm staying focused, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's helped, but I, I honestly think it's sort of, I'm going to steal the Amazon idea. Like it's, it's day one. I think it's still day one for us from an edge perspective and there's still a lot more to do and a lot of new challenges to, um, to solve where I think it's going to really help us out. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good start and we're going to keep building mm-hmm. on top of it.
2: Cool. Cool. Well, um, before we get some information about where people can you know, learn more about what you're up to and and some other things, we do always uh, have a segment of the show where we ask ChatGPT something about uh, the topic of the show. and We let our guests either uh, choose to answer it or let uh, uh, ChatGPT answer it itself. So the uh, the question we asked this time around was if you had to build a new ad for Chick-fil-A, like the famous one, the cow, uh, the cow sent you, what would it be?
0: All right, let's hear. I want to hear ChatGPT's answer.
2: <laughs> All right, so um, ChatGPT's answer was creating a new ad for, uh, for Chick fil A would require careful consideration of their brand values and messaging. He's, he, that's why you. <laughs> <right? laughs> yep, um, well, I, <laughs> I can't produce visual content, I can provide you with a script for a potential ad. Nice. So the, the title for the script is Chick fil A, where flavor meets community. Okay. It says, opening shot for a Chick-fil-A restaurant with families and friends and employees interacting happily. Uh, The voiceover comes over and says, Chick-fil-A, we believe in more than just great food, we believe in community. And then it cuts in close uh, to a close-up of a Chick-fil-A employee serving and smiling to a customer. (laughs) The voiceover also says, "Uh, our team members aren't just employees, they're your neighbors, your friends, and your biggest fans. Um, And then it goes on to say, it shows various scenes of Chick-fil-A employees engaging with customers, such as high-fiving kids, uh, (laughs) assisting elderly customers, and sharing smiles. Uh, VoiceOver again comes in and uh, says, we're not just a restaurant, we're a gathering place where people come together. Um, And uh, it goes through a bunch more, I'm going to skip some. But then it cuts to a shot of the iconic Chick-fil-A cow mascots, and Cow1 says, Eat more chicken. And <laughs> <Katsu> says, <laughs> holding a sign, share more love. Um, you anyway, know, you get the concept. It actually goes on quite some time and we can, we can share it in the document in the show notes. Yeah. But uh, uh, I'll go with the ending here. It says, This concept em- emphasizes Chick fil A's commitment to community, friendly service, and unique charm of their brand. It combines the elements of great food and a welcoming atmosphere. So I think it, uh, you know, I think it pulled from the right sources. If you ask yeah. me. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's actually pretty good. The, this uh, this LLM stuff might might be something after all. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it hit some good elements. I uh, think that's good. It, it maybe took the cheesy factor uh, to the extreme, but
2: um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, not a bad uh, not a bad first try. Nicely done. <laughs> this yeah,
2: was three point exactly. five too, so you know. Okay, little, little, nice. little brother. Yeah. <laughs> all on. <laughs> you cool. well um <laughs> let's let's get some more information about um any links that you uh want to talk about share uh, we'll put in the description any blogs that kind of thing where can people find you will you be at kubecon anything like that
0: yeah sure so um for chick-fil-a in terms of what's going on from a tech perspective uh we're on medium uh it's medium.com slash chick-fil-a tech uh, nice. i believe um so people can find that in the the notes i think but um yeah, a lot of stories there about uh, both things that we do from an architecture team perspective as well as uh, stuff others are doing across our engineering community um, on, on a bunch of other projects. So that's always fun. Definitely recommend that. Um, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, Brian Chambers Chick-fil-A should find me. Um, I'm not in a bike helmet on there anymore. Like I used to be, I think that's a, <laughs> nice. a baseball hat. I keep it informal on in LinkedIn. Um, nice. so, uh, you can find me there as well. And then, uh, I do some, uh, yeah, writing just for fun about tech, um, on my, uh, sub which is, uh, Brian chambers at name of it is the chamber of tech secrets. Uh, thanks to my LinkedIn audience <laughs> who came up with it and voted for it. Um, so that's fun. So I, am pretty good about writing every week. Um, haven't done it yet this week good for you. <laughs> so uh, those are probably the main places uh, and yeah I will be at KubeCon at least that's the plan and I'm looking forward to connecting with a bunch of folks there it should be a lot of fun how about you guys Y'all yeah be there?
2: we'll both yeah we'll both be there at KubeCon um, I believe Bob and that's correct yeah, saying. yeah. That's and true. <laughs> uh, what we usually do is actually we bring uh, to our North American ones we bring all of our uh, podcast stuff with us um, we grab people for 15 minutes so nice. we'll try to do that with you and we make sort of a live from KubeCon episode it'll be a lot cool. of fun yeah, that'll be awesome. Sweet. Well, Brian, it was a pleasure. I think uh, Bob and mentioned this before we got on the call. We could probably talk about this for another two hours. Yep. I know you talk about it a lot. So we're uh, very thankful and appreciate you uh, coming on and talk to us and
1: our audience.
0: Yeah, guys, it's my pleasure. Really appreciate the invite and enjoyed the conversation. Um, thanks for all the great questions. And uh, yeah, had a lot of fun. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, y'all.
2: Okay, Bob, and that was a conversation that I feel like we could have had go another two or three hours. I think there's a lot to unpack with what uh, Brian and Chick Fil A and everyone over there that is part of this um, kind of rollout and solution. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. I mean, for for me, just the the real-world scale of managing, you know, the nearly three thousand stores. I think was a really interesting point. Um, you know, I know we brought up how they manage state, which is yeah. again, not, not necessarily what we've been used to and talk mm-hmm. about on the show, meaning that, you know, they have Postgres there, he said, um, but they were like, yeah, the data doesn't matter after you know ten minutes, yeah. an hour or 10 minutes or whatever <laughs> it may be. Right. Tens of minutes, yeah. um, which is, you know, a concept that I think goes against the grain in my, in my own <laughs> brain a little bit there. Um, but very interesting kind of point to, yeah, mm-hmm. we support it and we can do it um, even in these small, you know form factor clusters. Yeah. Speaking of form factors, you know they chose a very small piece of hardware on purpose. I know they might you know refresh that or change that in the future. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a very um, kind of cool point. The fact that they're kind of you know hiring sort of installer to go out here and put these things in here. They kind of come online, call home, and they take it from there. Right? They didn't have to have people managing. Uh, Kubernetes clusters in their stores, which, you know, darn, I was really hoping to
1: for uh, that job. <laughs> find a fast, fast food service job, like managing Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I think the other thing, is
2: really around sort of edge and GitOps that, uh, that surprised me, right. They were really early adopters to a lot of this technology. Yep. And, um, you know, with GitOps, they, you know, he mentioned they kind of stumbled into it and they kind of built their own, uh, GitOps tool before, you know, the Argo CDs and everything and flux came out, mm-hmm. um, because they knew they had that need, um, and kind of tackled that. And and the same goes with edge, right? He talked about them sort of adopting fog computing, which I think was actually <laughs> a little bit of a new term to me, but it totally makes sense, right? Yeah. You know, sort of, you know fog at the end. And I like, I, I know he didn't like the term, but I thought it was kind of interesting, but you know that um, just shows, I think to be where they are, they really had to get in early and, mm-hmm. and they even mentioned, you know, some of their initial sort of POCs or, or, or or stores use Swarm and stuff, but they cl- clearly saw kind of Kubernetes being the the kind of go forward plan. So yeah, lots lots of interesting points, I know. what did you get? Yeah, of
1: lots of goodness, right? Like, man, just building this out and then scaling it to 3000 stores, as you said, or yeah. 2,100 stores. It yeah, that's just crazy. Like, wow, I, I don't know how he manages that with like a single digit person platform team. I know they work with right. vendors that handle support and things like that, but still, that's a lot of responsibility. Uh, and seeing this in production, uh, I really like the fact that they have think, thought about like resiliency and reliability at each layer. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, as you said, right, like they're not doing like traditional data on Kubernetes, like short term data, and then shipping but it that out.
2: That is the thing, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but like, oh, uh, three nodes. Two out of the three nodes can go offline; they'll still be up and running. Application level resiliency, even network level resiliency, right? Like if the okay. internet connection goes down, they have a fail, of, a fail back or failover plan where they have like an LTE connection that can send the important bits of information, maybe the credit card transactions that the stores back to the main location. So uh, I think, yeah, obviously, when doing things in the real world, right, it takes a lot of thought. Uh, clearly, Brian and team have put that into it. Uh, my second takeaway was. Like, good for us, dude. Like, I'm excited that, like, we had the MLB episode where we spoke about how these, uh, how Kubernetes or Google Cloud Anthos in their case was being deployed at the edge at each of these stadiums, uh, with 2800 stores, uh, how K3S clusters are being deployed. So, I'm more excited to get more and more of these end user uh, customer stories on our pod and share that with our listeners. So, uh, I think I'll, I'll ask that as a favor, right? If you are a listener of Kubernetes bytes and you're using Kubernetes in production dev test or figuring out how to use it as part of your day job, or if you know of somebody that we can talk to, please ping us. Like these are interesting episodes for us to record as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think the end user uh, use cases are, are really impactful. Right? Yeah. Um, because a lot of us are working on problems associated with our day jobs and um, we can't really share all the details, but the... Yep kind of public knowledge sort of use case and and real world use cases that we can relate to, I think Mm is the key point there, um, are really kind of powerful uh, to show you, right? You know, everything you're working on has, you know, a real impact and and there's a lot going on there. Yep. Yeah, you you don't
1: have to do it at 2,800 clusters. (laughs) If it's just one cluster for your one team and if you have an interesting use case of like how this is impactful, yeah, we love to like have you on the pod. so Absolutely. I, I didn't realize you you were right, saying both of these were sort of Edge use cases.
2: Yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully get away from Edge and, and mix <laughs> it up a little bit uh, across... Some new episodes. But um, yeah, fun episode with Brian. Uh, really exciting. Uh, don't forget to join our Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like and subscribe. Leave us reviews on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, wherever you can. Um, also, if you're going to be in KubeCon Chicago or even DevOps Days Boston, come say hi to us. Yep. Um, we may or may not have all of our podcast equipment in both of those places. We'll try to get them to chicago yeah. hopefully and uh without fail we'll be able to uh, interview some folks there as well so i think that brings us to the end of today's episode Bobin, i'm ryan i'm Bobin, and thanks for joining another episode of kubernetes Bites. thank you for listening to the kubernetes bytes podcast